Hello and welcome to Not Couple Goals, the podcast where we talk about the best and, let's face it, worst of romantic thriller cinema. I am Allie Nelson, here with my co-host. Tyler McCarthy. And this episode, we are talking about the 2000 movie, What Lies Beneath, uh, starring Harrison Ford and Michelle Pfeiffer, directed by Robert Zemeckis, written by Sarah... Kernachan and Clark Gregg. Yes, that Clark Gregg. Uh, so if you haven't seen What Lies Beneath, it is almost 24 years old, but consider this your spoiler alert. We're going to be talking about everything, so give it a watch and then come on back and join us. Okay, welcome to the show. I'm really excited to talk about this. One, this is a crazy movie that I've been looking forward to doing for a while. And two, we have uh, one of my favorite guests, um, my former colleague. However, you know her as the music editor for thepopbreak.com, where she takes all the best concert photos. Take that out. All the best concert photos, writes live uh, concert coverage, album reviews. Uh, and you may know her from some other podcasts on the Pop Break Network, like Socially Distance and the Way Too Early Oscar podcast. She is Kat Manos. Welcome. Hello. So excited to be here and talk about this truly insane movie, <laughs> movies, because it's about five movies in one. It yes. Is it it has so many like misdirects for a movie that is really straight across the plate. It's cheating husband. Is punished by a ghost. Well, and I'm glad that you chose this movie because you know Indiana Jones is coming out next month, so I feel like it is. You know, there's there's not I think really any other sort of romantic thriller that has Harrison Ford in it. That not that I can think of. You can't really count like The Fugitive or anything like that. So I feel like (laughs) like the sole one we could really do for the podcast. But unlike The Fugitive, in this one he did it. Yeah, I mean that's true. (laughs) What I'm curious about two well two things one i'm curious uh what made you pick this movie and in general what we like to ask all of our guests is what is your relationship to the romantic thriller genre in general yeah yeah i was so i was so excited first of all to see um i love this podcast and i love all the movies that you guys talk about and i love um the list of movies that you still hadn't covered yet i think i mentioned in my email that I really, really love this genre um, because I'm this really uh, weird person where I love movies um, and I like thrillers a lot, but I do not like horror movies because I have massive anxiety. So, oh. so to me, What Lies Beneath is my version of a horror movie that I like to put on every Halloween. <laughs> and this is what I watch. Everyone else is watching. I mean, I will watch uh john carpenter's halloween stuff like that but i generally do not like slashers i don't like a lot of violence um but i'm okay with like psychological thriller stuff and i like a lot of the romantic thriller this like weird combination of a fucked up relationship that is sometimes psychologically draining or something is going on and the fact that there's a spooky element just kind of ties it all together and makes it a great watch for me. I love that. I love that this is your spooky season go-to. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, awesome. Really 
yeah also a big harrison ford fan i mean i feel like we all are but i just want to say that i feel like yeah every every person has like at least there's a he does a genre for everybody and like you're gonna have your fandom that you can love him for i mean really just like indiana jones or star wars but i also feel like just with the one-offs like if you love like just your straight up action movies you have like air force one Mm -hmm. like the iconic like get off my plane sort of situation like it's really hard not to root for him or just like love him yeah totally true and he's like almost 60 in this movie and his body is insane. Oh, I think yeah. the first note I wrote was Harrison Ford can get it. <laughs> Even when he's like next to Michelle Pfeiffer in a nightgown, I'm like, man, that Harrison Ford is glistening right now. <laughs> I know. I In one of the first scenes, he's shirtless. She's in like the silk nightgown. And I immediately Googled. I'm like, how old are they? <laughs> and he, he is 59 and she is 42. But they like look good together. Like they, it doesn't look like a big age disparity. Yeah. Like yeah. Usually, this guy's eighty years old playing Indiana Jones. Like yeah, he's got <laughs> it. Usually that kind of age disparity bothers me. But like there are mm-hmm. like it's like when you see somebody like Selma Hayek supposed to be like married to like Adam Sandler. I'm like no, that's yes. not gonna happen. And yeah. that annoys me. But when you see something like this, I'm like. I would buy that Michelle Pfeiffer at 42 would marry like uh, 17 years of her senior Harrison Ford. Like, yeah, we all probably would. Like, whoever you are, you probably would marry Harrison Ford at 59. Absolutely. He had like, I was looking at his arms. I was like, how is he still so like muscular and fit, like in better shape than I am in my 30s? <laughs> I know it's insane. Um. So I want to take I want to want you to cast your mind back for a moment to the first time you saw this movie. What was going through your head? What did you expect from it going in? Like what was what was your experience with it? Yeah, I kind of have I kind of have a unique experience with it in that so it came out when I was 10 and for whatever reason I really really strongly remember it was like right by my grandmother's house. There was a billboard and I saw the billboard for this movie, which was the movie poster, which I'll say is a movie poster that I feel like could never be made today, which is it was just the bathtub and you see a woman's hand coming out and it just said Harrison Ford, Michelle Pfeiffer, what lies beneath? And wow. at the time loved Harrison Ford, but was like, that looks so scary and there's <laughs> no way I'm seeing that. And so I have a really strong memory of my mom seeing the movie and then telling me everything that happened in it. I'm like, okay, what happened next? And what happened this? And I don't really, really remember a lot of what she told me other than her getting to the point of saying, and then she looks on the phone and it said 411 and he didn't actually call the police and he was right behind her. And I was like, (gasps) Harrison Ford was the (laughs) bad guy. This like blew my mind because at the time and still kind of now, Harrison Ford had never played a villain. Like this this part was totally against type. Um, And I think it wasn't until probably I was 15, 16 did I actually like really watch it myself. But I kind of went into it knowing the twist, unfortunately. But I think that kind of makes it um, fun to watch and pay attention to. 
Hey, it's Bill Bodkin, editor-in-chief of thepopbreak.com. Join myself, Amanda Rivas, Al Manorino, and a cavalcade of awesome guests on the Socially Distanced Podcast, the flagship podcast of thepopbreak.com. And it's Amanda Rivas. If you're a pop culture obsessed nerd like we are, then you need to make Socially Distanced an integral part of your life. We talk all the things, Marvel, Star Wars, you know, everything on Disney Plus pretty much, as well as the hottest trending shows and news in the world of pop culture. This is definitely Al Manorino and not Bill Bodkin. So listen to the Socially Distanced podcast every Friday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all your favorite podcast platforms. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so we can eventually get Disney Plus to give us advertising money. Please, we could use the money. I, I have children. Hello, I'm Daniel Cohen, former film editor of ThePopBreak.com, and I've got a Batman podcast for you. We discuss Batman's past, present, and future, and do a lot of rankings episodes. Yes, we rank the movies, villains, but that's not all. We even rank all the Batman movie trailers throughout history. Yes, we rank Batman trailers. I dare you to find another Batman podcast that did that. So join me and frequent hosts Alex Marcus and Bill Bakken, as well as a plethora of bat guests as we discuss Batman and plenty of DC on film as well. Also, fair warning, I'm a BBS fan, but don't let that scare you away. Trust me, I get mocked and ridiculed more than the Martha line for taking that stance. So relax and tune in on the last Tuesday of every month on the Pop Break Today feed. interesting yeah it does I, I guess when i like put it on and when i watch it it doesn't scream like horror to me but then when i'm actually sitting there watching it it's like yeah we got ghosts we got murderous husbands we got like the terror of someone being in your house and you don't know whether or not it's real like it's a it's a spooky movie mm-hmm. there's possession Allie. in it a woman is possessed oh yeah. my god I, I every time that happens i've only seen this movie a handful of times Every time that happens, there's like a light that clicks on in my brain where I'm like, oh, yeah, people are getting possessed in this. <laughs> well, person. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, fine. But still, with the green eyes. Mm-hmm. Allie, what was your uh, first experience with this movie? Well, Ken, it's funny that you should say that you went in knowing the twist because I feel like everybody kind of went in knowing the twist. Like this was like sort of infamous for the trailer really just oh basically putting the twist at the end like it literally had like the moment of like i think she's beginning to suspect something your wife and showing like so it was very clear that he was having an affair and that the ghost that's haunting is the affair lady um and then that scene is like one of the scarier scenes and it's kind of spoiled in the trailer um and this was like a big time like 2000 was like a big year where people got fed up with the trailer like showing too much i think there were like five (laughs) movies that like got spoiled where even the director was like please don't put that in the trailer and they would put like the final scene in the trailer so i i saw this in theaters but had seen the trailer and so like when they kept being like hey here's a twist i was like not really because that's in the trailer and then they would be like here's another twist he was having an affair it's like oh no like that's it was pretty clear from like the tagline. It was like, I think the tagline was like, he was the perfect husband, except he made one mistake that followed them home. And it's like, well, okay, then yeah, he had an affair, it followed him home. So I I remember being like, the movie for the most part was delivering what I thought it was going to deliver. And then, and so like the investigation of it, I was sort of like, okay, we'll get, get to the affair twist. But when he does turn evil, 
because Harrison Ford really hasn't ever done that, it was a smart casting choice to like cast him against type because even though it's it's so obvious now when I watch it, I was very shocked. And I feel like the whole theater, like I think I was, you know, pretty young. I was probably like 10 or 11 when it came out. And I remember everyone in the theater being like, oh, Harrison Ford's the bad guy. So I remember like that being really exciting and i remember thinking this was a really great movie i think probably because of that and when i watch it now i don't necessarily have the same like this is so brilliantly written experience but that was my experience at the time that's funny because i have a similar story you know like i saw this in eight i think i was in eighth grade the summer before like high school um we were all like at our friend's lake house and we were like sitting there she was having like a uh like co-ed slumber party that was heavily supervised by adults. Don't worry. But we were at night we were like, Oh, we should do like a scary movie. And I think I'd been talking about Indiana Jones. Cause I just like seen all the movies for the first time. And like, at one point someone was just like, Oh, you like Harrison Ford. Oh, you like twists. Oh, you're like at a creepy lake house. Let's watch this movie. And I was like, well, okay, but I f- fair enough. It's not really a mystery though. Then it seems like he's going to be the bad guy. And we sat in rapt silence and watched What Lies Beneath, a bunch of eighth graders not sure what to do with ourselves in the dead of night before a co-ed sleepover. Uh, And that's my experience with this movie. And then I think I saw it again with you when we started dating, just because. We watched it very recently. Like we watched, I don't know if we had watched it. I think maybe we watched it one time, like when we first started dating. And then one time we definitely watched it like just a few months ago. Yeah. For the podcast listener, Ali's definition of we watched it recently could be any time in the last four years. That's not true. I have a sense of time. You have a worse (laughs) sense of time than me. Fine. But I don't recall watching this recently. Wait, HBO Max or Max as it changed today said that we watched it recently. Max is a one day old. It doesn't know shit. It's kept my old data, so there. <laughs> Fine. Um, well, that's that's what all of us were like expecting from this movie going in. It feels weird because we all are talking about how we got what we were expecting. But uh, Ali, do you want to give us a brief recap uh, for those who need a refresher of what this movie actually was? Yes, I'm, I'll be very brief because I feel like we've already kind of got Harrison Ford's the villain. Yeah, we've gone for the spoiler. <laughs> um, basically. We've got a couple of empty empty nesters, Michelle Pfeiffer, and she's married to Norman Spencer's Harrison Ford. Norman's not a great name for him. Um, they've been married for, you can tell, like, you know, a good chunk of years. Uh, they're very romantic with each other, very happy. He's a very, like, acclaimed uh, scientist. And she is missing her daughter, who she just, you know, showed off to college. And the suddenly a haunting has started to happen. So she starts investigating the haunting. Uh, and eventually it turns out that the ghost is actually a woman that her husband was having an affair with. Dun, dun, dun. And then we'll kind of go from there. I I have a question for both of you. Buzz in if you know the answer. I don't. You said Harrison Ford is an accomplished and acclaimed scientist. Yes. What kind of science does he do? Something with genetics. Yeah, I was going to say, I think he's a really? geneticist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they said he was like head of DNA genetics, something, something mm-hmm. at such and such university. I totally missed that. I was I was spending the whole movie like I must have missed when they first mentioned that in the beginning, because I was like, what do you do? Stop saying scientist. <laughs> Here's how I remember towards the end of the movie when they're on his boat and they're having this like New England picturesque <laughs> uh, date after <laughs> it's just been revealed that he 
has uh had an affair there's a shot to the name of his boat and it's called good jeans oh, oh for- <laughs> yes. that's cute you said Allie. yeah that is kind of cute <laughs> my wife likes a pun i'm fine with that <laughs> yeah it 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 was really like baffling in the beginning you mentioned the trailer giving everything away but because this movie really tries hard to make this like a rear window to the point where it dedicates an awful lot of screen time to it and raises really serious questions that just don't get answered well i mean you you did the trivia but like i think robert zemeckis on purpose was trying to do like his version of a hitchcockian yeah horror yeah so and you really get like the music is very spot on certain shots are super spot on like blonde heroin like i feel like there's a lot of it. And like the fact that it really feels like rear window, but then also like his name is Norman. Yeah. Yeah. His name is Norman. And it also has the plot of like, not necessarily like Hitchcock thriller, but I feel like of so many other thrillers. Like I remember reading that there was like, people were mad that it felt like a copy to this one certain movie. And I was like, no, it copies like every, there's so many movies with the same plot. Like you can't blame them for one movie. (laughs) Yes. My yeah. my like take on this movie is that it's basically an Alfred Hitchcock fan cam film. <laughs> and and Robert Zemeckis, I um we actually have this movie on Blu-ray and I watched the the bonus features on it to see if there was anything interesting. And Robert Zemeckis just flat out says, I made this movie because I think it's the movie Alfred Hitchcock would have made if he had access to our technology. I saw that quote. Yeah, which is a a perspective to have. That's a um, bold claim. That is a bold claim. I'll bold say claim. it. How yeah. dare you? <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, but it's like, don't say this is the movie he would have made. This is to say like, this is my version of an Alfred yeah. Hitchcock movie. Yeah, if only he had the technology to make a bastardized version of four of his other well-done movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's there's so, there's so many Hitchcock elements. I, I think the rear window thing is interesting because the movie starts and you think, oh, this is going to be a rear window thing but then it Mm -hmm. slowly becomes like a haunted house film and then it becomes a ghost story and then it becomes a possession story like it it just it shifts from so many things that by the end you're like remember when we thought this was rear window and now we've completely forgotten about the neighbor altogether but going back and like rereading my notes for this movie i did i am like wait then what was the body sized thing he was loading into his car what was the bloody shoe all about uh why was she so like afraid of him and upset and where has she been for weeks days she she explains that she was like with her mom she left him and went to her mom's and like she explained that she was crying because she said like have you ever loved somebody so much that like when they're away from you you can't breathe and it's like no you should you shouldn't be with anybody if you feel that way you need to go into counseling and that's fine exactly (laughs) Yeah, I I had a really hard time with the scene where she witnesses them having like a really harsh sort of domestic squabble. And then she goes outside. I can't remember if that whole like, you know, can we take them sex scene happens before or after this. But she Michelle Pfeiffer goes outside because she was reviewing like a photo album and it made her upset. And then she hears the neighbor lady crying and she goes to the fence and they have a conversation and she's like, what's wrong? And she goes, I'm afraid I'm going to disappear. And this is where I felt like a bad neighbor in person. That's when I'd be like, okay, bye. Have a good oh, day. 
See, as a woman, I would be like, come over. Like, I I would be I like- I would call the police. Yeah, I would be like, you live with me now and I'm going to take care of you, you like sweet little baby bird. Like, I would not let her go back to her house. I would be so worried that that was her saying, like, I think my husband's going to murder me. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was her being like weirdly existential. Like, well, I think it turns out that she I'm kind of was. To like, fade she was like, away. I think that's kind of what she was being like. It's like, oh my God, like, I have you ever just felt like you love someone so much that you're going to just disappear in your love for them? I think that's like what she actually was saying. Then, yeah, then I am like, okay, have, have a nice night. Can you well, close your windows yeah. when you fuck? I got to go. <laughs> I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have taken it like that. Like, oh, you're so obsessed with your husband that you think that you're going to just cease to exist because you're so obsessed. Like it, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Let, let, let me make it clear that if a, if my neighbor was like, I think my husband's going to kill me, I would intervene. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> I think my husband's going to kill me. Oh, that's listen. When you mow the property line is actually like by the fence. <laughs> Can you make sure he does it on your side of the property line? I don't want to have to have mine all, you know, roped off for the crime scene tape. And well, actually, speaking of lawn care, what I think one of like they it started out as one of the best shots of the movie, and then they like just weirdly overdid it. But when they are doing the rear window thing and she's looking through the binoculars and she's watching him like rudely throw her flowers on the lawn that she can definitely see. Uh, even without binoculars. And then she like pans over to a window and she sees him like looking right at her. It was so good. And then they do it for another like three minutes of just her panning to every window and seeing nothing. But then she does see what looks like if the, what I imagine if the devil walked like in the grass, like all of the grass is like heavily footprinted. The cement is heavily footprinted. And like these footprints are leading from his house, but then she turns around and sees Harrison Ford and she's like, oh, you're home. I'd be like, oh, I think the neighbor's attacking us. Like yeah, he's, I, or, he came did, over. Did you see him? <laughs> I think for me, what makes this movie very effective is the fact that pretty early on, you do kind of have doubts about Michelle Pfeiffer's, I don't want to say sanity, but she seems very flighty not like all together there and the fact that she doesn't respond normally in a few of these situations kind of instills that doubt and when Harrison Ford is like eh, the neighbors are being neighbors just ignore mm -hmm. them you're like yeah I guess just they're not really doing anything right now like yeah that woman was crying hysterically I feel like maybe I would have done something about that but and you like in the beginning you're kind of on his side yeah I mean, I guess I, guess I find it because I find it so annoying because, you know, when you watch these movies and it's like you, a lot of the time it's a female protagonist and she's not going to be believed by like the male protagonist or male lead, whoever it is. Um, and I do find that annoying because you do know it's going to pay off where she's right. Otherwise, what movie are you watching? So it just annoys me to have that con her constantly be like, hey, listen, like something levitated and stabbed me. And he's like, nah, <laughs> I'm imagining things. You're a hysterical woman. It's like, shut up. Like at a certain point, you just start to get really frustrated, which I suppose is like sort of what they want because you want to be they want you to be feeling like how she's feeling frustrated. But at a certain point, it is like, no, she's she's seen some shit and you've even seen some shit and you're not believing it. And, and Kat, you make a really good point. Like the way they heighten it and the way you sort of stick with her perspective that by the time she bursts into his office and says things that are 
objectively crazy. I, I think a line, like a direct quote is like, I'm not crazy. I did a seance. And yes. like by that point, you as the viewer are kind of like, yeah, motherfucker, she did a seance, asshole. Yeah. And there's a ghost in your house. Yeah. And he's still like, I don't believe you. One of my one of my favorite moments with the ghost is like when she's like, what do you want? And the ghost wrote, writes like, you know, and it's like, clearly she does. Motherfucker. <laughs> she's so confused. And you're in her house witnessing her confusion. Just write her a longer note on the mirror. You can I know. write her notes. <laughs> I have the exact same note, too. Like what is this trip? This reoccurring trope in movies where these ghosts just don't take a little bit more time to explain the situation. Mm -hmm. All she has to say is, Norman killed me. Yes. I was his student. Like, whatever. You know, like, who is that? Who are you talking to? Multiple times. Multiple times. This ghost uses the computer. Jot a sticky note or something on the home screen explaining you got into a car accident several like last year because you walked in on me and your husband having sex he was having an affair i threatened to go to the dean and so he killed me yeah uh, he's at least the mef is like a breadcrumb it's like okay like that's more direct than just saying you know it's like no she she literally doesn't and if you've been in the house watching her then you know that she has like partial amnesia for that night so like she she literally can't know <laughs> this movie uses solid over the picture as well yeah and she keeps knocking over the picture because the ghost knows <laughs> that behind the picture is the newspaper clipping which vaguely references her death, but not fully. And the ghost is like, it, it's like the ghost is like having fun. She Madison's is, having fun. It it also doesn't hurt uh, her cause of having fun that Harrison Ford has essentially covered this crime the way the like final key is covered in an escape room. Like it's all there laid out for her to find. That's true. That's true. He didn't do a very good job. To me, there is nothing more insane than this man walking to the end of his own dock <laughs> and just dropping the evidence maybe one foot away from like his own dock. Like drive somewhere else. You have all of these places to bury it. Like take her out on the, the good jeans. Put it in the car when you're driving her off the bridge. Like it's what is the big deal if somebody finds the music the, the, the jewelry box with her? It doesn't seem to like I don't know. Are they do, really send it back to you? Do you think it was a thing where he wanted to like reflect on what he'd done every time he went to the dock, every time he looked at that photo, like all of that? Or is he just a bad murderer? Well, because why would he take the key? Like, so he throws the, the jewelry box in, but then takes the key and puts that in the vent. Like, why are you leaving breadcrumbs? Like, get rid of the key anywhere. Like, right. he's so small. You can get rid of that. Like, you could just throw it into the neighbor's yard and it wouldn't come back to you. Like, what are you doing? Why not bring it to work even? Like, don't leave it somewhere your wife could put. Like, if somebody's going to need to clean the vents or something at one point, then, yeah, it's going to get found. And they're going to be like, we found, we were cleaning your vents and we found this key. Was it just her necklace in the jewelry box or was there something else? I think just the necklace. Yeah, I think that's, it was just the necklace. That's a waste of a jewelry box. Well, he claimed- I know was, I'm focused on the wrong thing. He claimed but. there was a note in the jewelry box that she had like left a note, but I don't know if we're supposed to believe that or not at the end of the movie. That's right, that's right. Yeah. Do we believe that he like covered up her suicide? No. 
or that he killed her. <laughs> he, oh no, he, he says he, he yeah, admits I forgot about that. Yeah. He says he like held her underwater and is like, that was a great moment from Harrison Ford too, where yeah. he's just like got a thousand yard stare with tears in his eyes saying how he held her underwater until the life drained out of her. Like, Jesus. Yeah. And then the way he's like, oh, well, like he just like kind of moves on. It's like, hey, Cooper, let's find your ball. Come on. I do have to give this movie points though. A huge pet peeve is in these movies when the animal is killed for no reason. As far as yeah. we know, Cooper's fine. There's no dog death. For anyone concerned, I'm personally a big fan of doesthedogdie.com. Great website. Oh, that's a great idea for a website. It's so great. They don't only tell you about if dogs die. They'll also tell you about other trigger warnery things. But no, the dog does not die. We love Cooper. Cooper Mm -hmm. also knows what's up early on. um, Because as we all know, dogs can and do see ghosts. So I kind of like that. And Cooper ends up alive. Because you get a little worried for Cooper when she's like, she's got the shard of glass and she's walking around that he's going to like bound over it to say hi, <laughs> she's going to stab him. And yeah. yeah, I was worried about that too. Because um, we've seen that happen in a couple of the movies we've done and it's not not the best. But I also was kind of angry at Cooper though, because he like, he comes in when she's like really in peril and is just like, hey. <laughs> and it's like, I know we no. can't no you can't logically know but you still like want a little bit more from your dog where you're like help please i kind of rewatched that though i thought that was a good acting moment for cooper because he does seem concerned for her but he's a dog so he is still distracted by the prospect of getting his ball yeah he sort of doesn't seem like he wants to leave when harrison ford's like let's go get the ball he's kind of like yeah he like grabs his collar and like drags him out because cooper's like i don't think this is like a fun bath yeah (laughs) And he's like, and I know from not fun baths. <laughs> That's true. Cooper does give a really good performance. Thank you for shouting that out. It's true. There's a lot of emotion going on in just that one scene. Because <laughs> it would be it would be such like a sad ending after if like there's a post credit scene of just her on the couch next to Cooper, like looking at him like, fuck you, man. <laughs> that dog scares her several times during the movie, which is also like she gets so annoyed. And I do appreciate it because we've all had like pets and stuff that will do stuff like that. And like the way that she's like, Cooper, when he like walks in on the seance. <laughs> uh, it, it, he comes in like Eddie Golden Retriever of, hey, guys, what's going on? It's like, Cooper, we're trying to commune with the dead. Jeez. <laughs> just Sorry, bad. I'm checking every room. <laughs> I The Ouija board scene. This made me laugh because they do kind of like a comedic cut where she's in her therapist's office. Um, side note about the therapist, like this was IMDb trivia, which is why I think sometimes thinks IMDb trivia is bad. But they said like, oh, his office is in like a basement and you can see through the windows that like foot like people's feet are walking by because his office is what lies beneath. And I'm like, no, it's the dead girl is what lies beneath you stupid IMDb fact. Yes. I digress. <laughs> she's in therapy and he's like well you should try to communicate with whatever this entity is and she's like oh yeah. pff, what do you want me to get a Ouija board and then it's like a hard cut to her in her bathroom with a Ouija board so my question is did the therapist say yeah get a Ouija board I <laughs> mean he's, he's, a, he's the type of therapist that will legitimately give you the advice of like oh you think your house is haunted no there's no way that it could be in your head like you definitely should try and communicate with it <laughs> yeah that that conversation is insane to me because First of all, she's like, I don't know what to say. The hee hee seems like pretty standoffish. Like, oh my gosh, I have like a 90s view of therapy and I don't really want to be here. But then <laughs> she starts to like get quiet and she has like the thousand yard stare. 
She's like, there's a ghost in my house. She looks like me with green eyes. And almost immediately, the therapist is like, we should try and talk to her. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, my therapist would not say that, guys. My therapist would be concerned. and be like, why do you think that? Wouldn't immediately uh, encourage communication, but I don't know. Listen well, yeah, to the voices. It, yeah, it seems wrong if like someone is wondering if their sanity is like you know in peril and he's like i'm gonna really affirm that that this you are 100 percent sane and that the the potential delusions are real yeah he also is like oh and don't worry i have a minimum of three visits before i can commit someone and then he's then she doesn't laugh and he's like that was a joke like yeah guy not funny not, <laughs> not funny no it seems like no. he wants to come over for the seance like i was surprised he wasn't with them like wait can i come like yeah, let's let's do it wouldn't it be crazy if i was there no i shouldn't but like i could i'm free <laughs> it's friday it is interesting though i think the second time she goes to him at this point we the audience we have seen that there is seems to be some evidence of haunting or ghost things like the door opening by itself, that's established like super early on. The bathtub filled with water, even though she was just in the room, like stuff like that. At this point, it seems like there's something spooky. And when she goes back to talk to him, that's when he starts asking like, how are things in your marriage? And that's really mm. the first time that I think as the audience, you consider, oh, maybe something weird is going on here because Harrison Ford is pretty normal a lot of the movie which i think also kind of plays into what we were talking talking about before of like how the movie works at least for me yeah i mean it, but also those seem like the questions you should have been asking in the first visit to like get like a yes. baseline for her life instead of like oh let, let me tell you go surreal like it just seems weird <laughs> that he's talking about that then and like Harrison Ford is like so stereotypically like an amazing husband in this. He's like very successful, like clearly very attractive, like super, super loving to her, like so into her. Yeah, they have so many scenes that take place with them just like, like literally cheek to cheek. Yes, they're very in love and they've been together. Not I guess not too long, like because she's she was married beforehand, which was a detail that I didn't really get the did did him being a stepfather and her being previously married like factor into the plot at all I think it only factors and I wrote this down I think it only factors in so that when he's trying to kill Michelle Pfeiffer he has mm -hmm. that disgusting line where he says like this will only bring me and Caitlin closer when I look at her I just see you and then he sort of like looks at her creepily I think it's so that mm -hmm. he could be you know creepy nasty stepdad instead of like it being like incesty like Ugh. it's incesty enough but he obviously like met her because he said like you were a single mother travel like musician traveling right. with baby so he's like basically raised that child as his own mm -hmm. and, and her husband been together for almost 20 years because so, like the daughter's 18 so it had to have been yeah. like 17 years or so i'm not sure michelle pfeiffer was married before just that maybe she had a kid with some guy who took off no, I think he said at the dinner, like, oh, like that guy was her first husband. He has a name. It's in my notes, but. Yeah, she says, I mean, oh, okay. Michael died or something like that. Yeah. Uh -huh. And Harrison Ford's like, Michael was her first oh. husband. Yeah. That's my Harrison Ford impression, guys. He's not actually in the room. It's just me. <laughs> wow. I thought he was here for a sec. Thank you. Thank you. So there's two things I definitely want to talk about when it comes to this movie. The first sort of leads into the next, which is, of course, the possession. But I also want to talk about the whole run where I think the movie really kicks into high gear, which is she 
she like is sure there's a ghost in her apartment because she freaking saw it multiple times. She goes to his office and then they go confront uh, the neighbor seemingly at like the, the school or whatever he works at the campus he works at. And he like suddenly couldn't be nicer. And it's just like, my wife's right here. Are you okay? As opposed to like throw the flowers and take the wine guy we saw earlier. But then she does her like internet sleuthing and they have this great scene where she figures out that like he was like connected to this missing girl and he walks in the room and she's like gone away from the computer and she's sitting down. She's being really secretive. He says two words to her and then she like hands him a printout of like, here's what I was doing. Did you know this girl? Are you a killer? It was it was so weird. But as a viewer, I was kind of like, yeah, you know what? Let's just get there. What did you guys think? I was excited. I mean, I would prefer that too. But also, like, as a side note, I like the Dexter's dad guy, James Remar. I like that's when... how I referred to him in my notes too. Oh, yeah. I love you. I, I like when he she sees them at the party after like she makes a big fool of herself, and he does like the fake <laughs> string <laughs> thing. I do appreciate that he's got a weird sense of humor about it. Like he's uh, takes it oddly well, and is actually like he could be a dick about it, but instead he's like kind of being like, hey, hey, hey remember that thing um but yeah i take that well if someone like accused me of killing you and i was like no she's right here she loves me she's great like you know uh uh, i feel like how would you feel if someone accused you of murder and you were like no 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 here's the proof he's alive he's tap dancing yeah i mean it it got me thinking about so many things that are interesting about this movie is that i've wondered does the neighbor know that Michelle Pfeiffer had a breakdown a year ago and got into a car accident and confronted Harrison Ford at this party. Like, was James Remar also at that party? Is that why he's not like, you're a psycho? And he's like, no, my wife's right here. And he seems like kind of gentle with her considering. I don't know. There's just like things I think about, like who knows what in this movie? I don't think he knows know. that because- uh they're, they mentioned that they had just moved in very recently. So my guess is that we're supposed to assume that they're newer to like, you know, well, okay. hang on, because they're a little all over the road there because on the one hand, they haven't like greeted the neighbors yet. That's what the like wine basket and flowers was for. He mentions that they're like moving in and like gut renovating his dad's place, which the place looks finished. It doesn't yeah. look like they're in the middle of a renovation. But at the same time, one year ago, it was at that house that she, he she witnessed him hooking up with his student mm-hmm. and like drove off and hit a tree or whatever. So the timeline of the house and its existence is a little uh, a little a little off there because well, I, I mean, don't I meant know. the neighbors had just moved in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I misunderstood. To the whole like. I, I think like we're new to the whole group and like maybe he was new to the university working there and all of that. Oh. Yeah. I, the neighbors, I feel like I have a theory about the neighbors that I'm not even really sure is true, which is they clearly have some sort of tumultuous relationship because one night, apparently incredible sex. And the next day, this woman is sobbing on her porch about how she can't handle like whatever she was going on, which seemed very (laughs) disturbing. But there's also something about how we view them entirely through Michelle Pfeiffer's eyes. And I think about how 
the neighbor looks so much like her. We see like this reoccurring motif of like doppelgangers and reflections and mirrors throughout. She looks so much like her. The fact that when Michelle Pfeiffer is looking in her house, we see that like the woman was also just playing solitaire. Like we see Michelle Pfeiffer playing solitaire. And there's a part of me that feels like Michelle Pfeiffer's like knowledge of what happened a year ago is trying to break through and she is like seeing herself in other people like she is Mm. seeing she is seeing what's happening with the neighbor and being like oh yes this happened to me there was uh, a sexual incident and then the next day I was crying like I don't know maybe I'm overthinking it but I'm oh no I think that's interesting I think you're giving a more intelligent read of what the movie should have done I don't think the movie intentionally did that I just think that you're that had you done the movie, you would have given it this intelligent like spin. Well, but. but it is interesting because it's such an interesting way she describes this ghost to her doctor. She says, she looked like me, but with green eyes. And it's yes. like, the at no point did the ghost seem like, and it seems like she's not trying to convey that it was a mirror image of her, uh, despite her showing up in a mirror. I didn't mean to make a pun there. But, um, you know, I I think there is something to that. She is seeing herself in a lot of this. No, oh, I think that is probably because for her saying like she looks like me, I think what comes out is like Harrison Ford has a very specific type yes. and mm-hmm. he goes for a woman that looks identical to his wife, but younger, which would be like one of the big, most insulting and gross things that like your significant other could do to you. You like, you would be like, you went for someone that looks like me, but 20 years younger. That's really gross and like very weird. And like, it, it, it like would make you feel like you're not even a human. It's like, oh, I just fit this specific like type that you like. And even the way that he like references that when he looks at the daughter, when he's mm-hmm. clearly like going to make a move mm-hmm. on the daughter, he's like, when I look at her, I just see you. It's like he just wants the specific like, like blonde haired petite woman. And and presumably when Harrison Ford and Michelle Pfeiffer met, Michelle Pfeiffer was the age of Madison, a college student. Oh. It would have been around that time, which is also the age of her daughter. So the, yeah, there's... There's a lot going on, um, but I just think about how, I mean, it goes back to the Hitchcock thing, the doubles, the doppelgangers, a lot of the women in the movie look like Michelle Pfeiffer, or I feel like she sees herself in them. I I just feel like there are times when like the truth is trying to break out, but Mm -hmm. she just reinterprets it a different way. Yeah. And I like that read too, because it gives, um, it factors their age difference into the plot a little bit too. Mm-hmm. He like has a thing of wooing young younger women. Yes. Uh, you think he would have been successful wooing the daughter? I think he would have because of the how confident he was like when he says that to her, which is so he, gross. He's also clearly like good at committing hard to telling someone what they want to hear because of the fact where he's saying you know, he said he didn't kill the girl. He said all these things, but specifically the scene where he's like, we were having problems. I slipped. God help me. One time I slipped. But for him to be like, but you know, the daughter, your daughter's kind of hot. It's also like, okay, he didn't slip. He just does this. He's like Mm -hmm. a straight up sociopath. He's crazy. Yeah. He's just been hiding that his whole, like their whole marriage, which is very, that would be incredibly unnerving to realize you had been with somebody for like 17 years and that you really didn't know them all along. Yeah, I think, I think there's probably evidence. I mean, I'm no uh, uh, clinical psychologist or anything, but 
the the like weird part of the movie where he has like this odd tension with his father um yeah it it feels like there's some reading there about like he's everything he's doing he's just trying to have a bigger name than his father one of my favorite things I laugh out loud every time is back to your point Tyler would she it turns to him and has like this printout of like, oh, by the way, um, were you involved in any of this? His first response is, are you doing this to get back at me because of my work? I'm like, bro, what? You are so concerned with your little uh, DNA situation. That is not what's going on. Like he just feels like a textbook narcissist. Yeah. It, which plays into him being like so cunning and charming and having like, a seemingly good response for everything every time she calls him out well and that's typically what happens like if somebody cheats and then they get confronted they do like it's like textbook response to like start an argument about something else to deflect from yourself so it's about like, my oh, science what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah see but see he does it like immediately because he's like yeah what uh, and you're blonde like he's just like reaches for <laughs> anything he could yell at her and like the only thinking, oh, you mad at me? You mad at me because of my work? And it's like, what? Like, that's such a stupid thing to do. But, you know, like there is a menacing thing that where he, she says that he's sensitive about his dad and he kind of gives her a look for a second. And like, it is like that facade when you know the end already and you're like rewatching the movie, you can see kind of the facade slip a little bit and he sort of gives her this weird look. And then he says, well, I'll have to work on that. And I guess. And oh, yeah. Like, has this like menacing smile with it and it's very unnerving and I was like that was such a weird moment but it I like at least that it's like a little bit of a breadcrumb of like there is every so often a moment of like what the fuck is with this guy well, it's a it's like a breadcrumb at the moment but watching it knowing the twist it's less of a breadcrumb and more the guy with the two lights when a plane is coming in like it's... waving you in like this like it's him yeah. he's the psycho <laughs> uh I want to talk a little about the possession scene because if there is an out like outright supernatural crazy moment in this movie it is that and specifically i was like i i I can't tell if i liked it or hated it that like once the sort of spell is broken she's immediately had this revelation about why she was in that car accident which allows them narratively to skip the part where she goes where did I go just now? What just happened? Who was in my body and why am I in this red dress? She's just immediately like, you cheated. I'm leaving like all of that. And I was kind of like, I narratively, that makes a lot of sense. But I also wanted to see the scene where these two human beings grapple with God being real and the devil being real and everything being like (laughs) their reality crumbling. It is such a weird scene. It's such a weird (laughs) scene because... I was watching the movie with my boyfriend who has seen it before. And he was like, oh, wait, none of this is real, right? This is all just in her head. I was like, no, bro, she's being possessed right now because she (laughs) stole a dead girl's little hair locket, like lock of hair. This is this is real. This is not like just in her head. And Michelle Pfeiffer's performance in that scene is so good, by the way. Because she really feels like a different person. Yeah. Never Never mind that like she has like CGI green eyes. But she is so good. And there's like Catwoman vibes in there where she's suddenly like slinking around. And then the apple, it's like the teacher and the student. There's like, there's so much going on. But but that scene is insane. How 
it feels like when she's possessed, she's also still in her own body and kind of watching everything happening. I think that's how they're able to get away with it. Yeah, I think she's like, I think she's been there and like aware, but she's not in control. But I there's a couple of things that I I think is like very funny about the scene. And like the thing that I find the most funny is that like, uh, she's acting so weird and she's so like aggressive and like bites him and like maybe draws blood and stuff. But at no point is Harrison Ford not down for sex. Yes! He's still He's like into willing it. to have sex with her, no matter how weird she gets. Like if I was going for an apple and Tyler, my husband came up to me and took the apple that I had grabbed out of my hand and said, forbidden fruit you got a problem with that i would be like yes give me my apple you jerk (laughs) get another apple from the fridge and be like i guess i'll get another one you can have that one and then if he he was then like time for sex i'd be like no you just took my apple like what's your problem (laughs) i would be like okay yeah the key to my wife's heart is not to steal her food for sure Or like be mean to me, like yeah, just and then well, aggressive more, about it. More to the point, I wrote in my notes that it reminded me of play Misty for me, where like she has just had f- from what Harrison Ford perceives, she has just had a mental breakdown. He comes home and suddenly she's being sexy in a way that she's not typically like sexy. Like not to say she's not well, sexy, probably, but but probably never before been sexy in this way. Yeah, this isn't yeah. the way she seduces him. If I'm him, like his character we're just supposed to believe like well he's a man and it's sex so yeah but if i'm him i'd like to think i would kind of be like i'm gonna say no i think there's some consent lines being blurred here you're not in your right mind it seems let's sit and have a talk well not even on the consent front like i would just think that you would be unnerved yourself and also like kind of like this isn't i don't know where this is gonna go so i'm scared by it please please don't do this (laughs) Like you're taking you apples, had- you're biting me, you're drawing blood. When, whenever someone like seductively like bites someone's lip and like draws blood in a movie, I'm always like, that's not sexy. I'm going to be using that a lot more. We're planning to kiss in the sexual endeavor we're about to undertake in. <laughs> Don't injure the goods right up top. Yeah. So I think that's really funny. I do really like, I think it's such a good shot and whatever effects they used when she leans forward and her face changes from hers to the other mm-hmm. actress, like the the affair woman. And they did good casting because that woman does look enough like Michelle Pfeiffer where it's like a subtle change, but enough of a change where you're like, that's a different person. And it's really seamless, the change. Like it, it morphs so well. I do think that that was a really uh, well done shot. And it's very creepy. It's It's totally creepy. Oh. Two things. One, Harrison Ford is absolutely DTF this entire movie. <laughs> in his first scene, in the in the first scene we see him, he's like down to fuck Michelle Pfeiffer. And then I think the second scene on the morning that her daughter's like going off to college, he is also DTF. And Michelle Pfeiffer has to be like, um, so-and-so is awake. And he's like, whatever, we could be quiet. Like he he's he's up for it a lot he is. of the time. Which I think in the beginning, you're like, oh, that's cool. And then later on, you're like, okay, I'm skeeved out because <laughs> these people are not okay. Second of all, to your point, Ali, about the effects, the CGI in this movie, in my opinion, is incredible for the time. And it's way better than I think we even realized because I realized while watching the special features, the entire scene on the end, at the end of the movie where she is on the bridge and in the car, that is all fake. That bridge is not real. That bridge is not there. And oh, half really? of her car is not there. That it is all CGI. 
And I'm like, whoa, that it's so good. And anyone who knows Robert Zemeckis' filmography knows that this is kind of his thing. I think the first half of his career is a lot better than the second half of his. But, you know, this is the guy who did Forrest Gump, I Want to Hold Your Hand. He, like, brought back the Beatles in that movie in a really interesting way. I think he went too far at the time of Polar Express. But at this time... His use of CGI was excellent. And I think it's used in a really, really interesting way in this movie. Like exactly what you said, Ali, like the faces changing and faces popping up everywhere in the water, the face in the final shot at the graveyard. Yeah, that was, I had to, I had to rewind it too, because it's, it's what I I think CGI is at its best when it's working in the realm of subtlety. There's probably a, a compulsion because of how much work you're putting in to make it look real to make it also look kind of flashy. But I yeah. like that, like, if you blink, you will miss it. That final shot of her face in the graveyard. Yes. Or totally. her face when she leans down and says your wife, like all that stuff. What did you guys, what did you guys think of the floor shot? And do you even know what I mean when I say that? When, the, when the camera is like under the floor and you can. Yes. See, yeah. But it like it, it pans down, which means that the hardwood you see when it's above is CGI. And then it goes down and it's actually the glass floor. And you can see there's one where she's on the ground and there's another where the keys are on the ground and they shoot up from the mm-hmm. glass floor that I was really well done. Yeah. There's another really interesting shot that if you, if you aren't paying attention, you could totally miss it. And it's a similar shot that, um, Robert Zemeckis pioneered actually in his previous movie before this contact there in contact, there's this really weird scene where you see a character, um, running towards you. And then the camera kind of goes through a mirror and you realize that actually you were looking at a reflection of the person and they were opening a mirror that happens in contact. And it happens in this in the scene where, Michelle Pfeiffer, as she is possessed, is on top of Harrison Ford, but she looks at a mirror that is reflecting herself walking through the front door of the house, and that's how she realizes that she walked in on them having sex. The camera actually goes through the mirror to the door, but if if you're not really paying attention, you totally miss it, and you just think it's like a weird camera thing but it's something that like robert zemeckis is really into this like cameras going through mirrors cameras going through floors and these like trick shots that i think are done pretty seamlessly and really well done yeah i agree it was really good and it takes place at two moment he like narratively it's interesting to reserve those two kind of i don't want to say surreal but like those those complicated trick shots for the moments where the movie is heightening to it like a huge degree it yes. really makes sure your eye doesn't like drift away or anything like that yeah they happen at big revelation moments mm-hmm. of her realizing things yeah that's a great point yeah i didn't realize you were such a zemeckis head um yeah i like a lot of his movie again a lot of his earlier films when he starts getting into the (laughs) 2000s i think someone explained motion capture to him and then he ran away with it but Mm. yeah it's it's a bit much it's a bit much but yeah he has a really great early career i mean this is the man who directed back to the future for god's sakes that's true that's true and contact is like a very underrated movie i don't think i've seen contact oh it's quite good Allie, when you're better can we watch contact yeah, I'll definitely watch that. It's yes. a Jodie Jody Foster movie. By the way, yeah. for those of you listening, my wife is recording this podcast powering through with COVID. So uh, thank, yes. hats off to you. Yeah, this is actually our first, uh, our first 
episode that we've ever recorded in uh, different rooms from each other. Yes, because I don't have COVID, so we're quarantining yeah. within our apartment. Um, so that, I think we're going into like specific shots we liked and things like this. I think I want to graduate us to our uh, uh, next segment of the podcast, which is our personal favorite, best, dare I say sexiest, like scene from the movie. Um, and it, it, you can feel free to pick multiple. You can pick one and really dive in. But let's start with our wonderful guest. What was your favorite part of this movie? Best, sexiest, funniest, whatever. Yeah, that's a great question. Whenever I think about this movie or someone brings up this movie, I always just think about the scene of Michelle Pfeiffer in the bathtub and completely paralyzed and all she has is her toe that is moving and the water is rising it, it actually reminds me a lot of that scene in kill bill i had to like look up and i was like yeah, yeah. Did, did kill bill rip this off i'm sure it didn't i'm sure that didn't happen but um no i'll take you on tarantino you're a hack you're a ripoff <laughs> you're a zemeckis wannabe Tyler it's doesn't true. like quentin tarantino <laughs> yeah i wouldn't doubt that um <laughs> it's just it's so intense and also back to Hitchcock it's bringing back like the horror and removing it from the shower and putting it in the bath like we mm -hmm. were afraid of showers for so long because of Psycho now after this movie I'm so fucking scared of baths like wh what happens like wh what if suddenly I like go numb and the water keeps going like it's such an intense scene because Michelle Pfeiffer knows what's going on but can't do anything and she might just like slowly drown I don't think there's any music. You just kind of hear the water dripping and you see her toe is moving. And then she tries to pull the stopper out and you think she's going to do it. And the water's just going down, but then the chain breaks and you're like, shit. And it's just, it's so, it's so dramatic. It's really well done. Um, and I, I think it's just such a great scene. That's one of my favorites in the movie. I, think I agree. It also really well. And I think she also like she really sells it. She does a great job in that scene. Yes. It also speaks. Uh, it's like an interesting thing for Harrison Ford's character that he just, you know, he has a bow and he just looks at water as his sort of dark ally in this. Like when he's got to hide something, tosses it in the water. When he's got to kill someone, drowns him in water. Uh, like he just has this uh, uh, weird like water is his weapon. And that sounds really lame until you put a vulnerable, paralyzed woman in a bathtub and slowly start filling it while he's like indifferently playing fetch with the dog in the in the backyard or something like it's yes. so cr when he's like splashes on it and he's like, oof, too cold. Like he's he's insane in that moment talking about how he was shivering because even when he had to fake an accident, he faked something water based like it's so crazy and wild that yeah, I really, I really liked that about it. Uh, it's so and it true. Was... An another reason I think that scene works and something we haven't talked about is that when he like gives her the sedative, we know exactly what's happening because it's mm -hmm. been established earlier. I wrote down the thing is called halothane. And it's when she goes to the lab and we hear in the background, they're talking about like they're doing experiments on the mice and they're like halothane. And you hear one scientist very clearly say she's unconscious, but she knows what's going on. Yes, yeah. it can be used on all mammals. <laughs> like, okay, that's probably going to come back. And then when it does, you're like, 
she's she she's she knows what's going on but she can't do anything like it's it just works so well because everything has been established at that point and it makes the whole climax too of like um you know Harrison Ford's obviously very physically fit and all of this but then when he gets injured too you do have these very like injured and wobbly people like going at it together and it's it makes it very interesting whereas you know you watch a movie like uh uh, fatal attraction for example and like yeah once michael douglas enters the scene like he's overpowering like everyone involved and blah 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 the fact that they were both sort of loopy from uh equal parts head injury and drug being drugged made the climax like really interesting like even when she like when she like bobbles the phone in the car in any other movie i'm like oh lame lame tension building in this i'm like i don't know she's kind of paralyzed a little bit still <laughs> like it makes sense she is yeah. bad at sneaking out of the house, though. We're like, I get like she's partially paralyzed, but like she doesn't when she stops and sees him on the ground because like he's passed out from the head wound, she screams. And then when she's trying to like get the phone out from under him, she also screams and like throws the phone and like breaks it. And it's like you you could be a little bit better about like just sneaking out, not making such a commotion constantly. Yeah. That's one of my least favorite things in movies when like you see like when Ghostface or whoever is like down and you see them unconscious. Mm -hmm. Everyone's like thing is like, I should just sneak by so that I don't wake him. And it's like, bullshit. I got eyes on. I'm tearing ass in the opposite direction. That's yeah. like such a gift when the killer is right there within eye shot. Like make your move then. Oh, I'm, gra I'm grabbing like a candlestick, a fireplace poker whatever it is and i'm i'm not trying to kill anybody but i am trying to you know whack a knee whack a head like keep you down yep and certainly not trying to slip the phone out from under your crotch yeah exactly like i'm a i'm a whack your knee with this fireplace poker you can't ch chase me now i might stab you in the leg i don't know For, forget to the phone run to the neighbor's house he seems nice now that's true <laughs> <laughs> Although, I don't know, maybe your credibility is gone. My husband's trying to kill me. Okay, <laughs> it's the murder lady. <laughs> that would have been funny if they added that. Like, oh, I'll go to the neighbor. And he has that exact response. Like, are you okay? Do <laughs> you think I'm trying to kill my wife again, too? I'm not trying to kill my wife. Your husband's not trying to kill you. All this is happening. I'm trying to kill you. All this is happening while he's in a kimono, having like just clearly been having sex with his wife. <laughs> That's why he didn't hear the commotion next door. Yeah, yeah, he missed it. What did you? I, I guess I'll go next because I've like I've got two favorite moments. The first, just because it's funny to me, is that it's a great scare and it's so empowering that it's the ghost of the victim that he killed who like flashes on Michelle Pfeiffer's face and startles him mm -hmm. into falling backwards and getting this head injury that is ultimately his undoing that allows Michelle Pfeiffer the time and the chance to escape. But it was also just like, it was like the equivalent of basically like he's undone by slipping on a banana peel. It was just so like goofy the way he falls. So that made me laugh. But by, what I would say is my favorite um, moment from the movie is the post, I think it's the post seance like scare where she notices the bathroom is steamed up once again. And at this point, she sort of knows like this is this is the ghost trying to reach out the first time it happens. And she goes in, I'm like, there's an intruder. You shouldn't have gone in there. But the second time she knows it's the ghost and she goes in 
And the camera does a really good job of letting us, the audience, see the specter, but not quite letting her. Like, she notices something in the mirror. The audience has straight up seen a ghost, but by the time she wipes it away, it's kind of faded. When the camera pans over the tub just before she looks over, so we see the ghost and it moves out. I thought that was really well done. And I thought that was just some classic horror stuff where we're playing to the audience the audience's lens, not necessarily our character. Uh, I thought that was like really cool, really well done. And something I wasn't expect. We listen, we do a lot of bad movies on this podcast. So it's rare for us to be sitting here talking about like effectively well done shots and scares and things like that. Uh, so that, that, you know, for, for one of these movies that we do that blew me away. Uh, how about you, Allie? Um, I mean, I think it's, you know, definitely the a highlight of the movie is, I think, like, right when Harrison Ford makes his turn um, and reveals that, like, he's actually, like, a super bad guy. Like, not just a guy having an affair, not just a guy who had an affair and then covered up the suicide of the woman in, in the house. Like, no, he is, played at, like, straight up murderer, adulterer guy um who also will sleep with his stepdaughter like grossest of the gross guy um i like that he doesn't try and play it like tee i'm the joker like try and go over the top because i think that would be unearned and i think it would also just be sort of out of character like you know harrison ford is very like cool calm as a cucumber with like sort of a snarky sense of humor and i feel like that's you know what we all fell in love with him for and he plays it still like his version of a villain and I think that that's still very chilling he gives a great performance in that but I think like you know so I like highlight of that but um I really did like the from the moment that she runs out of the house when she sees him unconscious and the whole shot of like her running out of the house and then we see like the music is very psycho like it's very Hitchcockian and I think that was fun like the music's very psycho like we see her being filmed from like the side view mirror at points like or you know she's we see her run into the car through the side view mirror we see like the rear view mirror the side view mirror like capturing parts of the house mm -hmm. um like we see like the very hitchcockian like silhouette of harrison ford standing up and knowing mm -hmm. that he's coming after her mm -hmm. and that all and like then her driving all of that i think was really well done and really fun um, yeah the the door ajar and the chair moving was like my favorite of that whole sequence yeah We've got like all of the music hyping it up and just like it's really well shot and it it definitely felt like instead of it being like some of the movies we will watch like they'll be ripping off film noir movies they'll be ripping off and it's like this is not you doing your own spin on this or doing an homage this is you ripping off and you cannot call it an homage this felt like homage like he could Robert Zemeckis can do his own thing and this was him specifically being like this is my homage this is my psycho moment like this is my like Hitchcockian like finale building like to that frenzy yeah, that's it's actually interesting. We're doing this right after we did uh, the movie Out of the Blue. If you're a regular listener, uh, we talk a lot in that episode about the difference between homage and ripoff. And uh, I think this is a good those are two good examples. Yeah, there's I, I mean, I know it sounds strange to say the words interesting and out of the blue in the same sentence. because <laughs> That movie was awful. But yeah. I, I, I the, the whole finale has me wondering as well. She. It's really interesting because they're driving and then they see the ghost of uh, the woman in the road. And that's what makes them veer off the road and land the car in the exact place he hid her body and her car and everything. 
And I'm wondering, like, we miss, we don't see the part of this story where she has to explain how she came about all of this to a police officer or a detective or something. And I am kind of like, they're never going to believe you weren't in on this in some way. You crashed the car right above the body of the woman who your husband killed by himself. Maybe it's more believable because I would be like, listen, he was trying to kill me. I would kind of maybe even have to lie about it and be like, he was trying to drive me to his usual body dropping spot. (laughs) Like, you know, like Dexter had one to bring Dexter back. Maybe Ford has one too. This is his usual spot where he crashes women's cars to pretend that they drowned. Michelle Pfeiffer is going to need to lie a little bit to a lot of it. She can't just say, so I started feeling like there was a ghost in my house. And then I went and I did some investigative research and found out a girl disappeared. So I went to her mother's house, stole a lock of her hair. And whenever I held it, I realized I became possessed by her. And that's how I figured out that my husband murdered her and hid evidence off of our dock. Like, there's going to have to be some lying. And and ma'am, and- we have witnesses saying you accosted your neighbor and accused him of murder. What was that about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's a lot. One of my favorite, like, I laugh out loud because it is so fucking goofy how they land in the water and they're, like, fighting. Whatever it does manages to dislodge the corpse of Madison, <laughs> who then floats in the creepiest way up and also gets into the fight and maybe is alive because her necklace is in the water. I feel like there's something with the necklace and being near the body. There's like continual weird possession things. Well, definitely like this is her moment for revenge. So like she's she's like super excited to like come upon them fighting and like turns her head and then grabs him it's he's very creepy in that last moment where he realizes he can't get out of the uh the car as it's sinking so Mm -hmm. he's like yes you and i are gonna drown together even though and she's like just don't like don't do this you don't have to do this and he's like shh and then Mm. just pushes her head down it's so fucked up because he can't like they're gonna find but like her the other victim's body like there's no he's not i don't think he's keeping his secrets by killing her along with him in that way it's just spiteful it's just him being vindictive oof and i think he's, also him being like let's die together then he's mm. such a creepy villain it's a shame we don't get someone should make the movie where it's like the whole story but from his point of view too <laughs> well i That'd feel like it's so a lot scary. of him rolling his eyes if it's from his point of view because even after he sees madison's face on his wife he still doesn't think that there's any ghosty element because he's like making fun of her after he's knocked her, like after he <laughs> paralyzed her and it's like dude you've you've seen some shit by now what's wrong with you well, there is w- one scene in the movie that we haven't talked about it might be the only scene that michelle pfeiffer doesn't witness and it's towards the end it's like it's like at the point where the audience sees it but she doesn't we see Harrison Ford go on the phone and he asks his friend about paranormal investigators. And I remember rewatching it. I was like, wait, is he starting to believe that there's ghosts now? But I think he reveals in his like villain speech that he doesn't. He thinks it's bullshit the whole time. But the way that scene reads, it seems like he's still a good guy and he's just trying to find out about paranormal investigators on behalf of his wife. But yeah, it, that's see, really weird. I read that as... I read that as him because he's so good at like 
immediately when he's got Michelle Pfeiffer like paralyzed, some of the first things he does is he starts making phone calls and like establishing an alibi for the night. I yeah. thought this like that read to me as him being like, see, even a day before I was trying to get her help and that kind of thing. Mm, yeah. You know what yeah, makes really me laugh though? I love to think about because when she hits redial and it's 411, it goes 411. Uh, what do you like? What information do you need? And it sounds like a human voice. I want to know what that 411 operator that got his phone call, what was their reaction? And why did that operator not call 911? Because yeah, even if you call 411 and not 911, but you tell them that you have information about a missing persons case and then give them your address, I would assume the 411 operator would be like, okay, I'll pass this along. Like, you know, like, <laughs> what is that I know. person's reaction? <laughs> That person should have been like, um, do you know how 411 works? We're, like, we're not the police, but also I guess I'll start writing this down because this sounds really disturbing. Um, Yeah, that is such a weird phone call. When you yeah, that, like if That's who I want their perspective of the movie. <laughs> Even if it's just a short film, I want to see that person be like, wait, duh, I can get you the number of McDonald's. <laughs> so just like an end credit scene where it's like people who work at a 411 call center in the break room being like, I had a weird thing happen. This is them swirling <laughs> coffee. I had a weird thing happen. Okay, now it's time to close this out, and I'm going to get us into some trivia that I came up with for this movie. Uh, well, I didn't come up with it. I found it. Uh, surprisingly, there wasn't like a lot. As I mentioned earlier, I went through the IMDb facts, and I looked up some interviews and things like that. But this movie did weirdly kind of come and go. Like people like it. People do a lot of like reflections of it and think pieces about it every time it has an anniversary. Um, but at the time it did kind of come and go. But what I found a lot of people enjoyed doing, and we mentioned this up top, a lot of people like picking Clark Gregg's brain about this. And I was shocked to learn that Clark Gregg of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Phil Coulson, is the writer of this movie. It's one of three movies that he's written. And this is obviously the first one. Um, which I found surprising. Did you know that going in, Kat? I know you're a Marvel person. Yeah, yeah. Clark uh, Gregg is so fascinating to me. My two <laughs> favorite facts about him are one, that he wrote this movie, and two, that he is married to Don't Put Baby in a Corner, um, which is amazing. Wow. Yeah, he's married to that actress. I'm like, literally, what is his life? I have so many questions. Um, yeah. The dude's just so been bizarre. around. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm one day curious, he was Colson. What, what if people ask him about the movie? What has he said? People just ask him, like, how, why you? Like, how, how did this? You don't see it. When I think about you and your brand, I do not think what lies beneath. And um, I'm going to do my best to kind of paraphrase. He told, like, he, Larry King asked him about this, but he gave a more comprehensive answer to, of all places, comicbook.com. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to do my best to paraphrase. But basically... He said he spent the first eight or nine years out of college in the theater scene in New York where he was directing and all of that. Yes, he, he went to NYU, Tish. <laughs> ah. uh, NYU alum. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, oh, right on. Woo. Boo Tyler. <laughs> we boo Tyler. You, I went to UConn. It's fine. You didn't go to NYU. Y UConn. It's fine. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's on our like school crest. It's fine. It's fine. If you're not a basketball fan, it's fine. 
Um, so he spent the first eight or nine years out of college doing a lot of theater and things like that. But at the time, he was sort of like going back and forth to L.A., just taking meetings and stuff because he obviously wanted to be an actor, but wasn't getting a lot of meetings. So he started writing. He wrote a few indie films that never saw the light of day, but they did hook him up with Nina Jacobson, who at the time was a young DreamWorks executive. She approached him based on one of his indie scripts that he said no one wanted to make. But she did say there is a bit of an idea, a bit of a treatment getting tossed around, a pitch, if you will, getting tossed around um, by big names like Steven Spielberg. And that is his co-writer, Sarah Kernachan. I may be pronouncing that incorrectly. Forgive me. She had the idea based on an actual paranormal experience that she had. But at the time it came across Clark Gregg, it was maybe two sentences. But the studio was like, we're into this idea. A couple has to, like an empty nesters, have to reckon with a ghost that's bringing up things from their past. Bah, bah, bah. So he takes a meeting. He finds out Spielberg's involved. He just finished directing a play in New York. So he's going to drive across the country back to L.A. So he tells this executive, look, give me the time it takes me to drive to noodle on it. And he said by the time he got to Nebraska, he had the story broken in his head. And then spent a few weeks writing it. And that was the script for What Lies Beneath. He said like days, mere days after he turned it in, he found out Zemeckis, who had a deal with DreamWorks to make a handful of movies, was like, I want to do my Hitchcock thing. Uh, it seems like I can lay those expectations over this script. So Clark Gregg goes from a guy who no one wants to take meetings with uh, for his acting to driving across the country and then having a meeting with Robert Zemeckis about a script he wrote based on an idea someone else had. And he says from there, things just really snowballed because you have old daddy Zemeckis at the helm. That's how you get Harrison Ford and Michelle Pfeiffer on board. That's how you start filming on like opposite coasts and things like that. And he basically said like, yeah, it just, it all happened very suddenly. And like, that's the story. It just went from zero to a hundred that quickly, which I think it's pretty fascinating. And I think it was a lot of him being willing to be Johnny Playball and not very precious with this script where he's like, yeah, we could make it a Hitchcock homage. We could add a Hitchcock thing here, 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 fucking name him Norman. I don't give a shit. Let's do it. Like I'm in a, I'm living in a beach in a uh, uh, guest house in Venice. Like sure. Mr. Zemeckis, whatever you'd like. So kids, if you're listening, if you have that Hollywood dream, be malleable. That's really it. <laughs> That's the advice. Um, some other pieces of trivia. Let's see. Oh, this is a fun one that some people may or may not have known. There is obviously the famous story in Castaway where Tom Hanks, you know, starts out the movie with kind of a beer gut and then takes several months off to get like Castaway thin for the final, you know, Wilson kind of moments. This movie is what Zemeckis did between filming chubby Tom Hanks and like emaciated Tom Hanks. This was done in between Castaway in uh, 2000, which I think is pretty interesting. I think if you're a Castaway fan, a Tom Hanks fan, this does hold a weird place in that sort of canon. I remember yeah. reading about it at the time and like it ended up being kind of a sleeper hit and like they didn't expect it to be. And he was sort of like, well, this was kind of my throwaway film that I did in between like filming like my prestige film. So it was kind of funny for him when it like it kind of, you know, became one of the hits of the summer. Yeah. And, and then uh, another bit of trivia, back to our point about Zemeckis getting on board. And then next thing you know, we've got all these A-list actors. Michelle Pfeiffer and Harrison Ford were his one and only choice. Zemeckis, not Clark Gregg. He probably would have gone with anyone. 
But Zemeckis was like, this is this movie is going to star Harrison Ford and Michelle Pfeiffer. It is those two. That's who I'm doing my Hitchcock movie with and managed to get them both on board. And I'm curious if either of you can think of a, a different pair off the top of your head who might work in this. Well, I actually think like, because I think this movie is kind of clunky. Like upon the, every other time I watched it, I really like was like, oh, it's so fun. But I think it's always because I like the turn of Harrison Ford being the bad mm-hmm. guy. But when, mm-hmm. because we had watched it so recently and then rewatched it again, I had, everything was so fresh in my head that, I found myself being like, mm, there's so much that's actually like could have been better done in this movie. And I and I started thinking, like, why did I always like this movie so much? And why have I seen it so many times? <laughs> and I was like, it is because a I really am a big fan of Michelle Pfeiffer. Mm-hmm. And I like I find her to be a really riveting actress. I think she's a really capable actress. And I also think she's just so beautiful that I always really like looking at her. Like she's somebody that's conventionally attractive with still being very interesting looking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's like sort of like not usual. Like you'll find a lot of just like pretty people in a lot of Hollywood movies. Um, and Harrison Ford also obviously is like, you know, we talked about earlier, like everybody's a fan of Harrison Ford. I think if you take them out of the movie, it actually, you know how there's like 20 movies every year that's just like, the dark water and like the, um, the creepy apartment and like room 402 and stuff that like you know it'll star like Renee Zellweger or something but like nobody will really watch it and nobody really remembers it and they come and go I think this movie probably would have been lost like to that had it starred anybody else because I, I think those two brought like really riveting performances and like Michelle Pfeiffer really like keeps you watching her all the way through and you you kind of root for her yeah, I, I agree, Allie. I think that if either Harrison Ford or Michelle Pfeiffer are not in this movie, and if another director other than Robert Zemeckis had made this, with a few exceptions, I don't think the movie would have worked as well as it does. And it's definitely not perfect, but there's something about the combination of the script being strong in the in the areas where it is strong they're acting elevating a lot of what's happening and really making it believable and the direction being really good at the important moments when it needs to be good is kind of like the sweet spot of what makes it work I totally agree like I'm trying to think of other actors in the 90s who at the time would have been like good or interesting like yeah another I mean it's a hard question I'm setting everyone up for failure well what occurred to me was um, simply because it was another movie on this list, I was like, oh, what if you cast like a real life couple? Like, what if you did at the time Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman? I think this movie mm. would have been pretty interesting with them because you wouldn't think that at that time Tom Cruise to be the bad guy and Nicole Kidman's really good, but I still don't think it really would have worked in the same way. Like, it, there's something about the energy that they have that it just feels really believable, the situation that's happening. That is I agree. Choice though, like yeah. although the only thing is, like I mean, definitely like Tom Cruise is usually like the hero and everything, but there's still a party that's like Tom Cruise, a sociopath. That's not too hard to leave. Yeah, you're like <laughs> I'd buy it. Yeah, he just starts doing Lestat. Yeah, I mean, like he's a great villain in Interview with a Vampire, so I do think he could have really. I think he could have brought something interesting. So I think it would have been fun to watch. But you you both hit on something very interesting there, which is that this movie, it's not hard to get made. It's a, a couple. It's provocative. It's got ghosts like you. This movie ex- exists out there with like CW actors, just hot people. 
Uh, but what but I don't think the I think the reason we're talking about it 23, 24 years later is, like you said, Harrison Ford and uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. So Zemeckis's first choices were were spot on. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that bummed me out as a fan of New England homes and beautiful settings, this house uh, was only used for day scenes. The inside was all soundstage, and this house doesn't exist anymore because it was torn down shortly after filming because it did not meet local building codes. Um, oh, also the... because a, a possession had happened inside. <laughs> the, they wanted to live there. Yeah, yeah. The, the property value decreased significantly, most likely. But it was just the, the Amity the, house. The, the neighbors, <laughs> the husband killed the wife, so everyone thought that. <laughs> Tough neighborhood, yeah. Yeah. It's a tough name. The Amityville house is right down the street, too. Uh, we already talked about the Hitchcock references, you know, the music. Uh, she, The only one I think we didn't touch on in my little list here um, is that when she gets out of the bathtub, she rips the shower curtain down, a la Psycho. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's about it. Um, one thing that somehow was probably studio noted to death, and I wonder if it would have made the movie better or worse, um, in Clark Gregg's original script, apparently they didn't have as happy a marriage and they were regular pot smokers. I think that makes it worse because I don't believe <laughs> I'm on everyone else's side being like, maybe you, you're del- like a little delusional, honey, if she's smoking too much pot. Yeah. Like, well, like and- maybe cut down on the pot and then we'll see if you're still seeing ghosts in the house. I also think his, because uh, I, I also read a thing where the seance scene plays out differently. It gets so scary, supernatural, and intense that the friend just gets up and like, like leaves the the home, like runs away screaming. So I think his original script may have been a little more uh, like rock and roll and overt at times. So like I don't know. I think a couple, like just imagine a couple of these scenes. Imagine the scene where she hands him the printout and there's just a joint dangling from her mouth. And the, the friend is the actress from Mommy Dearest, right? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> I'm not sure. All I could think about with that friend is that she sucks because she <laughs> reveals that she knew that Harrison Ford was having an affair with his student and decided to not tell her friend about it. While watching the movie, I was like, literally, I would never speak to this person again. Yeah. But here's what I will say for her. She... When is a good time to reveal to your friend who just sustained a major head head injury that she and that you suspect may have been trying to kill herself when she sustained the head injury that her husband was cheating on her? I do think you should reveal it to her, but I don't know when you reveal. You don't reveal that immediately. Like you gotta wait some time. Oh, I do. Right. I and- agree. There is a window where, like, the the correct time, in my opinion, is when she's hospitalized because she's surrounded by doctors and things like that. Like, tell people get a support group going. But after she's out of the hospital, there is part of me that's like, mm, you may have missed your window. She that's is right because. Does she think that Michelle Pfeiffer tried to kill herself because that's what Harrison Ford told everyone? Well, I think that that's one of the assumptions because she got she got questioned about it. I think she says, "Okay, um, okay." Harrison Ford called her and was like, "Do you think she was upset? Did she say anything to you?" And she only realized after the fact. So and so it would stand to reason that she would have that question in her head whether Harrison Ford kind of put it in there or not. You would still be like, "Oh no, if my friend." discovered that did she drive into the tree like on purpose yeah. right 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 yeah it's 
comparison for it. That this is what I'm talking about. There's so many small things in this script that upon rewatching it, I'm like, this is so clever. Because you're exactly right, Allie. That's something I hadn't thought about. Like, oh, she thinks that her friend tried to kill herself and that's why she ran into a tree at 80 miles per hour when in reality she probably thinks that because of things that Harrison Ford had said just like when they're at the party Harrison Ford's like oh don't talk to what's her face she'll talk your ear off and then when Michelle Pfeiffer talks to her she's like remember last time you were here and that terrible thing happened and it's like oh that's why Harrison Ford didn't want her to talk to that woman because that woman knows what happened I didn't put that together he was gaslighting. He was doing his little manipulation. Yep. He's a great villain. Like he's, he's really good. a good he's villain. Good. Like just every time we examine him a little bit further, we get a little more shades of just like the depths of his villainy. That's true. Um, here, here's a fun fact that I think only Ali and I are going to like, but this is the second horror movie where Michelle Pfeiffer's eyes, eye color were, was changed. Allie, can you guess the other movie? Oh, yeah, it was Wolf. (laughs) (laughs) We watched that one recently, too. (laughs) Immediately, she guesses it. The Wolf. Have you seen The Wolf, Kat? No, I haven't. Please tell me about it. It's just called Wolf. It's just called Wolf. I'm sorry. Uh, Jack Nicholson becomes a werewolf. Sign me up. Exactly. Yeah. Do you need me to say more? Yeah. I don't need anything else. She was also in um, Witches of Eastwick with him, no? Yeah. 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 Yeah, there's a big witchy vibe happening at this time. Ghost witchy vibe happening in the late 90s. Yeah. Yeah. Witches of Eastwick, Practical Magic, big strong witchy vibe. Witches of Eastwick was was end of 80s, but I really enjoyed that movie. Yeah. There was just a general spooky tone all throughout the 90s. Yeah, but I am here so much. Like Charmed had just come out like around this time. Right, Buffy. Yeah, good point. Good point. Um, my last fun fact here. Uh, it's actually a recent one. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer appeared on the Drew Barrymore show, oh, and she she mentioned that her performance was very much inspired by Drew Barrymore's performance of Casey in Scream, as someone who was being stalked, did not feel safe in their own home, was not sure like who was messing with them in their own home and that kind of thing. So she said she channeled a lot of that for the performance. And that made Drew Barrymore reveal that when she, she brought a photo of Michelle Pfeiffer from Scarface into the wig designer for scream and said, give me the Michelle Pfeiffer from Scarface. That actually makes a lot of sense. Cause that yeah. hair is like exact. It's exact. Yeah. They showed a picture side by side. There's a clip of it on YouTube. If you look up, Michelle Pfeiffer on the uh, Drew Barrymore show. It's very funny because they do share a moment where they're like, holy shit. And they show the side-by-side photo. It's very funny. And then Michelle Pfeiffer revealed that she was inspired by that haircut from, <laughs> from E.T. It just <laughs> going in a weird circular, like... Love it. Love it. And actually, they're both still at the studio talking and going in circles <laughs> over their inspiration for each other. <laughs> That's great. Um, but you know, as I mentioned, that's it. This movie is, you know, when, when we do these like bad movies, there's always a lot to mine out of like interviews where the cast talks about it and stuff like that. But for these movies that are kind of good, there isn't a lot of trivia. It's just a lot of stuff you'd expect. Um, people remember this movie fondly. There's, if you're interested in hearing more, there are tons of like 
think pieces, people like us who work for these uh, uh, nerd centric websites and things like that love to talk about this movie. It's a straight across the plate winner. Um, Does it dedicate a lot of time to misdirects and misleads? Sure. But if you can get to the part where Harrison Ford has his turn and everything you've watched up until that point doesn't feel worth it, then, you know, I don't know what to tell you. I do think that there's like a half hour that should be cut. I think it's like a little too long because it's like a little over two hours. And I feel like they go back and forth with like she takes too long investigating. Like we're already at the point of where we're like Harrison Ford had an affair. Like we're like 20 minutes in the movie. We're like Harrison Ford definitely had an affair with that girl. And like she doesn't discover that until like an hour in and you're like, oh, come on. And then when she discovered it, there's still another like hour and 10 minutes of the movie. So I do think that there's like a streamlined version they could have done with like Mm -hmm. that. It's no, they act like it's so many twists. It's like, we're already like, we know two of the twists like that are going to come. So like you can, you don't have to act like they need such buildup. And then when she discovers like one of the twists already, and then she goes to the small town to like see where the necklace and the jewelry box and the key came from it's like i didn't need her to go to the town for that i just needed her to see like a photograph and be like oh this is the necklace you know like the fact that she drove to this town just for us to see her in a storefront window so it's like i would i think that there's like a better version of the movie that's like there's a big honk yeah sorry for the podcast listener there is what sounds like a dog fight and a car's honking fight happening outside our apartment right yeah, now. Right. And for once you're picking it up on two microphones. We apologize. But uh, Just New York problems. Yeah. Exactly. I do think that there is a streamlined better version. I think there was too much investigating where it was like, oh, we are there. It, it yeah. also could have used uh, more characters. And what I mean by that is so much of the investigation is done through forcing the viewer to like, quickly read a news article or something like that. Whereas one of the more compelling scenes is when she goes and she talks to the victim's mother and they like talk about stuff and that, and and you get information that way. Uh, whereas most of it is just like a picture falls or like she reads something on a computer screen or something like that. It's very singular to her, which I get maybe made it come in under budget, but it also makes it uh, a little less compelling, particularly this was a bit of trivia I also left out because we covered it a little bit. But yeah, if you watch this movie, go back and watch the trailer, the original theatrical trailer, because they 100% give away like the twist. Basically, they certainly make it so that the whole time the rear window misdirect is happening, which is like a significant 20 to 30 minutes of the movie. You're like sitting there like, yeah, this is nothing. It's he had an affair with a student. We know that. Yeah, I feel like it makes it so much less effective because you're like, no, but this is a ghost one. Like, so this is like, this is nothing. And then, because I remember there was like a big article that came out. I think it was like Entertainment Weekly or something where it was like, this movie had come out and like the twist was revealed pretty much in the trailer. And like that movie Sweet November with like Charlize Theron and like Keanu Reeves came out. And it was Mm -hmm. supposed to be a big twist that like Charlize Theron's like dying in the movie. And then they show her like dying in the hospital (laughs) immediately in the trailer. And the director was like, please, like, don't do that. That was like the the whole crux of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Something that I always think about when watching this movie is with most horror movies, and I would argue most thrillers, you at least have a couple of establishing scenes in the beginning of everything being quote unquote normal. And seeing like the status quo of a normal seemingly life before things start getting fucked up. Mm-hmm. This movie is fucked up almost immediately. <laughs> like 
it starts off the music is already off michelle pfeiffer already seems to be on edge and i think maybe in the second or third scene she like wistfully goes to the the basement and like looks at this photo album we were like okay something disturbing happened like we don't see anything blissful from these people other than Harrison Ford like wants to bang but like that's not enough for me (laughs) there should be more there should be more up front well obviously it's a per ideal life if Harrison Ford wants to bang you (laughs) yeah 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 he sits he sits in bed shirtless with his abs glistening just typing up a storm and he'll stop when you're ready to bang yeah yeah. It's a perfect marriage. Mm-hmm. Totally perfect. Well, I think uh, a lot of our listeners can guess how we're all going to fall on this, but I think we should close out our wonderful discussion on this movie by going around the horn and saying whether or not we'd recommend it. Cat, uh, our guest, I'm going to close with you, uh, give you the final word. I will go ahead and say, yeah, I would recommend this movie. It's a lot. As Ali mentioned, there's a lot that could be left on the cutting room floor, but Every scene leads into the next very well. Um, It does build up a mystery. There are misdirects, but even the misdirects are fun. Like the rear window stuff ends up not meaning a thing plot wise, but like, God, is it fun to like see someone look through binoculars and then see the subject looking back right at them. It's all good stuff. And again, the whole movie's a build up to the last like 20 minutes and the last 20 minutes are some awesome, unexpected Harrison Ford. So I'd 100% recommend this movie. Um, there are of the pantheon of movies we've done on this li- this podcast. Uh, this is definitely one of the better ones. Ali, how about you? Yeah, I would definitely recommend it. I enjoy this movie every time I watch it. Um, I would say, especially if you are like a big Harrison Ford fan, and and I think this is his sole movie where he plays the villain. Mm-hmm. Um, tweet at me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure this is his sole like villainous turn. So it's definitely his first. Yeah, mm-hmm. but if you want to, so if you want to see him do a villainous performance, like this is probably the movie movie you should go to, and it is like it's better than all of those like you know come and go horror movies. Like if you really want to watch a horror movie and you're looking for one that's not going to terrify you, kind of like how Kat said, like I think it's you know it's going to have a good story, it's going to have some great shots, and it's going to have like good central performances. So I would definitely recommend it. I, I will also say before, Kat, you close us out, if you're out there and you're listening and you have a friend who's unfamiliar with this movie and does not know that Harrison Ford is the bad guy in the end, make them watch it and please tweet us uh, with what they thought of it because none of us have experienced the movie that way. Uh, Kat, thank you so much for being our guest. Please close us out. Would you recommend What Lies Beneath? Yeah, I'm so glad to have been here. So thank you to both of you for inviting me. Um, Yes, What Lies Beneath. It's so good, even when it is goofy and ridiculous, and it absolutely is at many points. It's still so good. If you're someone who likes a lot of horror movies and you sometimes walk out of them and say, like, this wasn't even scary, maybe this movie is not for you because Mm. I don't think the jump scares are massive. It's more of a thriller um and i just think it's like good performances it captures a really specific time you will see people playing solitaire on a desktop computer (laughs) in their room like you'll see uh people driving a car and saying hang on i can't respond to this phone call because i don't have service until we hit halfway over a bridge like (laughs) it is capturing a specific time um but it's just it's so good harrison ford michelle pfeiffer Need I say more? It's great. 
Excellent. And, you know, again, you've been a terrific guest. Um, I know Pop Break fans are going to be excited that uh, you've done our podcast. And now that we know Cole is a fan of the genre, or at least has funny thoughts about it, we'd love to have you both back for what we what we call double date episodes, where we have couples on. And... Love so, a double date. That'd yeah, be we'll, great. we'll get you back. I, well, uh, I was going to save you for October, but now that we've watched your spooky season movie, I don't know what we'll do. <laughs> That's true. Uh, but we would definitely love to have uh, you both on uh, and just you back because you're one of our favorites and it was so great to record with you. And also it's yeah. great to hear that you're a fan of the genre. So we always want other fans of the genre to come. Yeah. Oh yeah. Big fan. So be coming through that list. We'll have you guys on again in a heartbeat. Um, that has been us this episode. Uh, Kat, where can the people find you? What do you want to point them to? Um, people can find me on Instagram. My account is Cat Goes to Shows. That's Cat with a K. If you want to see concert photography, I am also on Letterboxd, and my handle there is Cat underscore Wild. That's Cat with a K and Wild with an E at the end. I'm pretty sure I have a What Lies Beneath review somewhere, yeah. among other movie reviews of things I've watched. Oh, now you tell us. I'm gonna I'm gonna go seek that out immediately. <laughs> um, Ali, how about you? Where can the people find you? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at anal retentive, A-N-E-L-R-E-T-E-N-T-I-V-E. And you can find me on TikTok. I'm actually posting there now and I really need more followers. So it's at like Willie Nelson, exactly how it sounds, like Willie Nelson. My name is spelled like how Willie Nelson spells his name. <laughs> and as always, you can find me on Twitter at Tyler McCarthy. And if you're interested in finding any of my work, uh, you can find it. I'm writing for NBC Insider, Sci-Fi, USA Insider, a little bit of Bravo. Uh, did I already mention NBC Insider? All of the NBC Universal editorial pages. You can find my work. And if you're not reading my work, you're reading another cool, talented writer's uh, work. So please check all those out for all of your NBC Universal needs. Um, this has been us at Not Couple Goals. Cat, again, thank you so much for joining us and picking a banger of a movie. Um, this has been our episode. That's right. Special thanks to Mallory Johns for our intro and outro music. And Alex Marcus, our producer. Mm -hmm.